I'd like for you to take God's word with me again, please, and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And that's the text uh, that Tommy was reading from a moment ago. We are celebrating today one of those chiefest of events and occasions that really form the faith that we have identified as Christianity. You could say all of Christianity orbits around the events of this special week. And we've given much attention each year to this week, and not just one week out of a year, but really every week of the year we seek to be reminded of these things. And I hope every day your mind is filled with thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But this is where Christianity really is distinguished from every religion in the world. What happened on that day that we call Good Friday separates Christianity from every religion in the world. In your understanding of this event, the death of Christ, your understanding of this event determines your eternal destiny. It's a matter of utmost importance. To get this wrong is a matter of eternity. To misunderstand what took place on the cross is a matter of life and death. It's not a small trifling matter. It's not an area to compromise on. This is of utmost importance. So much happened on the cross. More than we could ever discuss in one meeting. But there are a couple of things I want to draw your attention to in connection to that day. In fact, there are two great truths that I believe are very clearly seen and demonstrated on the cross. And they're really not just two truths, but two definitions of who God is that were on display on that day. And the first of those truths and the first of those definitions is this truth that God is light. The second one, we'll look at both, is that God is love. Both truths were evidently and clearly displayed on the cross. The first being God is light. Now that's a quote from scripture. That's not something fancy somebody made up to put on a greeting card. John 1, John chapter 1 and verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Every once in a while you meet someone who seems to be a bright light. Every once in a while you meet somebody who seems to be making a difference in a dark world and you might say of that person, boy, they are a shining light. But even the best of those people have darkness. But not so with God. God is light. And in him is no darkness, none at all. The first truth explains really the why of Good Friday. This truth, this definition of God, that God is light, gives us very clearly the why of the cross. Why did Jesus have to die? Did you ever wonder that? And if you don't get this right, 
then everything else crumbles. By the way, Jesus did die. There are some religions that would say today Jesus didn't die. Somebody else actually died. He got off of the cross at the last moment. Somebody else got there on, in his place and died for him. That destroys, by the way, that's an intentional attack. That's an intentional attack on the salvation from Almighty God. To take away Jesus off of the cross, if Jesus didn't die, then we have no salvation. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, died, physically, bodily, died on that cross that day. In an attempt to explain what happened, some have said that he didn't die, or they say that maybe he passed out on that day. That's one popular liberal idea. But he died. To reject this truth is to reject history. It's to reject God's word. Let me give you just a couple of verses, just in case uh, you're confused about the matter. In Romans 5 and verse number 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's no mistake about it. It's not a gray area. Jesus really died. In Romans 14, verse number 9, to this end, Christ both died and rose. In verse 15 of that same chapter, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest not thou not with charity, destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 11, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, and 2 Corinthians 5, on and on and on, Jesus died. But why? Do not let your mind ever entertain the idea that perhaps Jesus didn't really die. To entertain such ideas, such idea is to take the foundation from, out, from underneath of your feet. But why did he die? I remind you that verse we read a moment ago, because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The light of God has revealed unto us the greatest problem of humanity. Would you look this way for a moment? I do not mean to offend anyone here, but if you think the greatest problem in the world is the coronavirus, you're sadly mistaken. If you think the greatest problem in the world is global warming, you are sadly mistaken. The single greatest problem in the world today is sin in the heart of every man. That's the problem. And you could say, because of that one problem, the whole rest of creation has been affected because of that one problem. And the light of God has revealed unto us the darkness of man. It's interesting, the Bible speaks about Jesus coming into the world, being the light of the world. And the greatest condemnation in the world today is that men love darkness rather than light. John chapter 3 in verse number 19, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or revealed. Why would God want to reveal your sin? Now every once in a while somebody gets bent out of shape and says, you Christians talk too much about sin. 
Why would God want to reveal sin? If you do not, if a minister or a Christian cannot properly identify sin and recognize sin, then we do not have a gospel. Why would God want to reveal our sin? Because the scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. You know, in, in the heart of every man, there is a there is an, a cry and a desire for justice, isn't there? Anytime we see something terrible happening in the world, something inside of us says, justice must be met. Every time something heinous or terrible is revealed, every one of us desire for justice to be served, except when it comes to me or except when it comes to us. We'd be the first ones to stand up and say, something should be done about that. Except when that something is about us. And then we want mercy rather than justice, don't we? And then we want people to take it easy rather than give it to them straight. Somebody said recently to me, why doesn't God do something about all of the injustices in the world? And my response to him was, he has. And he will. He has already begun to do something, and he did in fact do something. Those some 2,000 years ago, he did something about it. And the enormous significance of the cross was that God on that day dealt with darkness. The light revealed the sin and showed us a need for justice and showed us that sin was present, and we already knew that sin must be dealt with and punished, and the offense, therefore, calls for reconciliation. Something must be done. When you reveal something, when something is dug up, or when something is revealed, it's not that all of a sudden that thing appeared, it's just all of a sudden that thing was revealed. It had already been there. And can I just say to you kindly, if you've never been born again, perhaps you haven't been brought to the place where your sin has been revealed to you. And you might be thinking this morning, I'm not really that bad of a person. And the truth is, it's not that you are not that bad of a person, it's that it hasn't been revealed to you yet. And you're living in darkness. But the moment the light is turned on, you begin to realize, I'm not that person I have pretended or imagined myself to be. Speaking to a friend here recently, telling me about some terrible things that had been revealed in a, in a local denomination from the top down. And uh, the sickness and the, and the repercussions that followed such sin. And it wasn't that all of a sudden that happened, it was that all of a sudden it was revealed. And can I ask you this morning, has God in his mercy revealed to you the darkness of your own heart? One of the problems with humanity is that we find it easier to point out the darkness in everybody else, don't we? We find it far easier to sit down and critique everybody else and, and to examine their life and find out and pick out everything that's wrong. In fact, we almost breathe a breath of relief when somebody is caught in sin because that means we haven't been caught and the attention is pointed to them. 
But can I tell you, until you come face to face with the reality of the darkness in your life, you'll never understand the meaning of the cross. Something has to be done for our sin. We know that. When I was 16 years old, you've heard a little bit of the story. When I was 16 years old, I was arrested before I knew the Lord as my Savior. And I was arrested for a criminal offense. Got caught stealing things. And it was brought to light. I was, at this point in time, caught stealing an automobile. And so it was a large, big deal. Made everything else that I had stolen of, of little significance, it so, so it appeared. But when I was caught, something had to be done. I was caught because my accomplice had wrecked the car. One of the cars that we were borrowing. And we were caught. And part of the dealing with my crime was that payment had to be paid to the offended one. We had to make restitution. We had to be reconciled to the offended party, and the only way that we could be reconciled to that offended person was by paying back the damages that we had caused and then paying for the crime we committed. It required two things. I had to pay restitution for the damages caused, and then I had to pay the punishment of the crime that was committed. And can I tell you, you may not have stolen an automobile, but you've sinned against God. You may never appear before a judge in a court of law, and you may never have to pay restitution to an offended party, but restitution must be made for your sins. You must be reconciled unto the offended one. And David understood this in Psalm 51 when he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Do you know that every sin that you and I have committed is against God? I was speaking to a Muslim friend here a couple of years ago, and a friend that does some of our printing, and he said to me, well, in our faith, we have two kinds of sin. One sin, well, he said, really all sin, he said, is against the person that you've done it to, and if, as long as you make that right with them, you'll be okay in God's eyes. And I said, that's interesting. The, the, the difference here is that we understand that all sin, although it might in principle, and it might, in, in sight, it might look as if we've sinned against a person, and of course we have, but all sin is ultimately against God, the creator and giver of life. And so though, although I might make it right with the person I've offended, I also have got to make it right with God. It's the same idea I explained to him if, if he were to take a key and run it down the side of my car. He could apologize to my car and say, I'm sorry, but he needs to come to me because that car belongs to me. And he's offended something that belongs to me. And all sin ultimately is against God. Every crossword you've had with somebody is against God. Every lie you've ever told to somebody is against God. Every lustful thought is a crime against God. Every murderous thought is a crime against God. Because he is the creator and sustainer of this world. And so the truth that God is light shows us there's a problem. And on the cross, that problem was dealt with. 
Now, you might say, well, I'll deal with my own sin. Thank you very much. I don't need anybody else to deal. No, no, the problem is you cannot deal with your sin. You can never pay back. Just as when I was 16 years old, I could. There was a certain amount of money that was uh, tallied up. And if I paid that money and did my two years of community service and whatever, whatever else was expected of the law, I could then be reconciled. But can I tell you, you can never, never be reconciled to a God, a holy God. Your list of offenses are so long and so great that there's no money on earth that could pay back God for the crimes that you've committed. There's nothing that can be done to make yourself right with God. You can't give enough money to charity. You can't serve enough hours of community service. You can't do it. And every religion in the world differs from Christianity on this point because every religion in the world says you have got to make yourself reconciled to God. And they give you a list of things to do, don't they? And you know, man likes that. We like that because we can kind of tick the box and think we're getting there. But in all actuality, the truth tells us you can never get there. And Christianity is different than every religion in the world because every religion says you've got to do this to be reconciled to their God. But Christianity says you can't ever do it. So God did it. God did it. You see, God provided on the cross what he demanded to be satisfactory in his eyes. And Jesus dying on the cross ensured that true justice was served. How would you feel today? I know of some friends that came to me less than a year ago. And they came to me broken. Several years ago, their 18-year-old son was murdered here in Oxford. No reason at all. Several years later, their marriage has begun to crumble and businesses have failed and they can't get past this. And one of the reasons they can't get past it was because in court, the offended ones were not dealt with properly. They weren't dealt with properly. They weren't given a sentence that was satisfactory. And can I tell you, as long as you try to deal with your sins, it is not satisfactory. As long as you try to earn your way to heaven and pay the price and to satisfy God, it is not satisfactory. You can't do it. You'll never do it. And this is where the second truth comes in. The second truth is right quickly off of the back of the first one. God is light. And on the cross, not only was the light of God revealed and God dealing with your sins by pouring out his wrath upon Jesus and punishing Jesus in our place. Love. The truth that God is love was revealed. Now, some people have a, a bad idea, a wrong idea. They think that the God of the New Testament, Jesus is loving, and the God of the Old Testament, oh, he's a mean and terrible God. No, 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 no. It's the same God. God is love. In fact, that's proven over and over again. And it is ultimately proven in the climax of Jesus' death on the cross. That's why we say so wholeheartedly, for God so loved the world. 
It didn't say for Jesus so loved the world. We know Jesus loves the world, but do you know God the Father, the Holy One, loves the world? In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God the Father proved his love. 1 John 4, verse 10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he, God, loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the satisfactory sacrifice and payment, restitution for our sins. This is love. And his love was on display at the cross. During the First World War, they, I read of a captain, of a naval captain, who had both legs shot off in a battle. And he pulled himself up as best as he could, and he commanded and demanded that the fight go on. Against all odds. And then he told his, his, his soldiers there on deck, he said, take the confidential books, throw them overboard, and throw me over after them, knowing he would die. Now that man, for the love of his country, sacrificed life and limb. But oh, how much more the captain of our soul's salvation has proved his love, not for country, but has proved his love for humanity in giving his only begotten son to die in our place because we couldn't pay it ourselves. How much did Jesus prove his love when he laid down his own life? No man taketh my life, he said, but I lay it down myself. What about that verse in John 15? Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man laid down his life for his friends. Would you look here for a moment? The awful reality was that when Jesus laid down his life, it was for his enemies. You weren't his friend. I wasn't his friend. He laid down his life, not just for his friends, he laid down his life for his enemies. For those who hated him. And you might be here today or watching today and you are filled with disdain to the Christian message and you don't believe it and you're not certain of it and you are by nature an enemy of the cross. Your sins have alienated you from God and you are in direct rebellion to him. But God in love gave his son. Romans chapter 5 says this, a beautiful verse speaking uh, to my own heart. Romans 4 and 5. But let me give you Romans 4 verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Jesus came to justify the ungodly. And in chapter 5 of Romans, verse number 6, for when we were yet without strength, we had no, no strength to save ourselves, no hope to save ourselves. In due time, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And if you have never been willing to humble yourself and be identified with the ungodly, then Jesus didn't die for you. If you're not willing to recognize God is light, and in that light is no darkness, and my sin is so dark. If you've never been caused to see and willing to admit and confess 
that you are utterly unable to save yourself. And Christ hasn't died for you. Love was clearly demonstrated on the cross and Jesus dying for us. It was a sacrifice of love that was clearly seen. And in Matthew 27, verse number 42, they said to him, they said to Jesus, do you remember as he hung on the cross? He saved others, but himself he cannot save. Would you look here for a moment? Do you know why he couldn't save himself? Because if he saved himself, he couldn't save you. That was a sacrifice of love. He could have saved himself. You've heard the song. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have breathed on that whole Roman legion, an army of Jewish Pharisees that were an army in and of themselves. He could have squashed them like bugs, but a sacrificial love said, I'll die. There was a prayer of love uttered on the cross. Do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. What a prayer of love. First time somebody offends us, we get our back up and, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not talking to them anymore. And I'm not going there anymore. They did me. No, no. Jesus said, God, Father, forgive them. Because they don't even know what they're doing. What love. There is an answer of love on the cross. Do you remember in Luke 23, Tommy read it a moment ago, and in verse number 42, there they were. There were the, uh, the two malefactors, the evildoers, hung beside Jesus on two crosses, and they began to talk. One of them in verse 39 began to rail on Jesus, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Sing, thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly. You see, that man had seen God as light. And he'd seen himself as he really was. Justly deserving condemnation. The other one did not and was not yet willing to admit it. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That was an answer of love. Just this week we had the opportunity, I had the opportunity of speaking at Lorena's grandmother's funeral. And on the side of Old Nellie Kefford's coffin, they put this verse. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. That was an answer of love. And it was an answer of love because the man realized he needed mercy. The other man got no such answer of love. But the one who humbled himself and realized he got what he deserved and he was going to get what he deserved, have mercy, he prayed. Remember me. An answer of love came. There was the thirst of love on the cross. Do you remember what Jesus said? I thirst. He wasn't just parched on his tongue. He wasn't just thirsty physically, although that was part of it. His soul was longing for something. And he endured a thirst so that you and I would never have to spend eternity in hell and be crying out for all eternity. Give me one drop of water on my tongue. 
What a thirst of love. What an anguish of love. Do you hear it when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that you wouldn't have to be forsaken of God. And what about the victory of love? What about when the Lord Jesus, in a final breath, cried out, it is finished. Sin has been paid for. Atonement has been made. The price is satisfactory. It is finished. He said it in love so that you and I could be pardoned, restored. The cross of Jesus was far more than just him dying so that you could be forgiven. That's only a little part of it. Demonstrated the light of God. It demonstrated the love of God. It demonstrated so many other things. And God willing, over the next several weeks, we'll begin to look Sunday nights at what just happened on the cross. But this morning, you cannot lay hold on the love of God until you first lay hold on the light of God. Have you been humbled? Humbled by the cross? And have you then experienced the great love of God? Nothing like it, is there? Nothing like it. I hope you have. God is light, and therefore sin must be dealt with. But God is love, and he has dealt with it. He has dealt with it. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we acknowledge this morning that thou art light and in thee is no darkness at all. Perhaps we ought to be a little bit more ashamed as we come into thy presence. We thank thee, Lord, that darkness has been dealt with by the light of Jesus Christ. We thank thee that there's hope for the darkness within each one of us. And that hope is found in Christ. And we thank thee, Lord, that thy love was proven and demonstrated on the cross so that man may never, ever be able to say again that thou art not a loving God. Man could never say again that thou art not a merciful God. We thank thee, Lord, that all of this was proven and accomplished on the cross. I pray for those this morning who are still, still in their sin, still in their darkness. Perhaps today, Lord, thy spirit may reveal to them just how dark, just how corrupt their own heart is. Father, we know that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But we thank thee that there is reconciliation. There is redemption. We thank thee, Lord, that restitution has been paid. Help us to look unto Jesus, to see him there, dying in our place for our sins, that we might be restored. Save someone today, Lord. Restore a wayward one today as we're called to look upon our Savior. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake.